If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This episode contains mature language and situations. Listener discretion is advised. You wake, standing on the doorstep of a beautiful mansion. The front door stands open. You can hear voices, music, so many, many people. You step towards the door. You have to know what's inside. You're lost. You have no memory of how you got here. It doesn't matter. Because now, you belong to the Gray Rooms. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 18. This season, we've been to farms, space, train stations, exotic beaches, and rural neighborhoods. Join us as author Mark Taus takes us on one of our final destinations of the season, a dirty, desolate place where men are sent to be punished for their crimes, left alone to reflect on their demons, both inner and external. We sat at the hearth porch, just the two of us, looking out over the manor grounds. I'd pulled up a set of chairs near the expansive windows, 
and Samuel sat by my side, his head bent in concentration over a book. I have the strongest memory from when he was a little boy. Every summer we'd go out to the countryside. My family's homeworld estate was a sprawling complex that covered acres of land. Riding stables, pools. We had wanted for nothing. This is just like the dock, isn't it? What? The dock. By the lake. At the country house. Oh, yeah. I see what you mean. That old swing bench Grandpa put up by the water. We'd sit there for an entire afternoon, reading, chatting away. Happier times. There had been no one to meet us, just a slip of paper that had my choice of doors, and a thick black tome with a handwritten note as a bookmark. The tome sat open on Samuel's chair arm. Every once in a while I'd have to turn the page for him. With no one to tell me where to go or what to do, my feet had found their way back here. The table from our abruptly ended meal was still pushed back into the corner. Todd must have come back at some point to clear away the food. Did he? Did he have to cart away his own corpse, too? I wondered. Has this turned out like you expected? I don't know what I expected, son. But since the moment I set foot in the rooms, I knew. I knew I couldn't just accept a life of torture and imprisonment. Did I think on my first day I'd be asking the woman that ran the place for a job? (laughs) No. That I did not see coming. (laughs) I think I'm ready. If you are. The tome had been from Alma, of course. Her note said that staff were no longer allowed to be in the manor with me. But she wanted to give me a chance to, as she put it, become whole again. Bob's notes on the cyclical nature of quests in the rooms had been detailed and disturbing. Subjects were slowly allowed to reclaim parts of their past through various means, visions, scenarios. The purpose of these memories, of course, was not to benefit the participant. There were tricks, hints to keep them engaged, to keep them seeking answers to half-remembered mysteries just out of reach. When the cycle was complete and their memories were whole, the subjects would be allowed just enough time to grow complacent. And then their minds were cleansed. We sinners... Murderers and criminals were made innocent again. Sent back into the rooms, fresh. I couldn't tell if I'd been through all of this more than once, but it seemed likely. Samantha Winters had walked the halls of her hotel through at least a dozen iterations of the project before her powers manifested. It stood to reason my situation was similar. It's a fairly simple incantation. I think it draws on something they've built into the rooms themselves. And we should have full control this time. Just tell me what you want me to do and I can bring you back and forth through your memories. Alright. I'm ready. (sighs) Here we go. Agatha Higresh Dimon Memoriam. Agrabin Zesh.
Enough. No distractions this time. Where to start? We... We have plenty of time for this, so... <clears throat> Show me my choice. Show me the moment of my victory. Captain Lorelei, what's our status? Admiral, welcome to the bridge. It's baffling, sir. The Faithless have sent the remnants of their fleet to meet us. They should be running and hiding. They're insane if they think they can take on the flagship. Hmm, you're right. And this battle formation, it's, it's all wrong. They're not positioned to attack a stronger target. What are they doing? I'm getting a report. What in the... What was that? The ship is stable. Damage crews are moving in. We... Sir, we have a problem. That was a main cargo bay depressurizing. One of the transport ships down there just blew the doors out from the inside and took off. Faithless saboteurs. Get it on the screen. Now. Bringing it up on the scope? There. Wait. That's not one of our transports. Sir, that's the Mudan. The ship my family and I came in on. Open a comms line. This is Admiral Beckett, pilot of the Mudan. Identify yourself. Go fuck yourself, David. Amanda? And Samuel? Absolutely. What the hell do you two think you're doing? <laughs> I'm making your grand campaign in one fell swoop, you bastard. Admiral, the Faithless fleet is moving to create a screen for the Mudan. Time to interception is less than five minutes. We're defecting, David. I have a dozen drives filled with information from your private systems. All the juicy little secrets you tried so hard to keep buried. And I have dozens more, with fleet data going back as long as I've been in the service. It may not win the war tomorrow, but with all of this in the hands of the Faithless, in the hands of the people, your days are numbered. Why? Why would you do this? <laughs> you know, some part of me hoped you at least suspected. Well, I'm not even a very good actor. My flinch when you put your hands on me. My eyes cold and flat when I said I loved you. But Samuel was right. You're so blinded by your own brilliance, by the grand campaign your father waged all those years. It never even occurred to you that the family you bullied and locked away might want something more, might have their own opinions. I gave you everything. You were the political leader of a planet. I was a prisoner in a compound you had built around me. I spoke remotely to governors you appointed. I tried to turn your insane policies into something that our planet could survive. I had to ask your permission to see my sons. Sir, they're less than three minutes to the fleet. I don't... This is insane. Captain, move to intercept with Surin. Weapons, target a firing solution. 
Aim for their drive and disable the ship. <laughs> You're out of luck on that one. Damn it! Admiral, weapons are offline! Guess I can pull my own weight, huh, Dad? You. Goddamn both of you. I loved you. I trusted you. This campaign has been my family's dream since before my father was even born. You believed in it too once. I did. I was a different person then. A lot has changed. You've changed. I stopped pretending when you allowed Aldrich to die in a pointless border skirmish. When you sacrificed my oldest son for a chess move. You're a monster, David Beckett. You're going to burn in hell. And I'm going to send you there. Admiral, what do we do? They're almost to the fleet. Admiral? We are the choices we make. Captain, give me the helm. Aye, sir. Helmsman, make room. I didn't pause as the young woman hustled to get out of my way. I sat in her chair, my hands flying over the controls. I slaved power systems and defenses to my station, using some tricks I hadn't employed since I was a cadet. As I strung together a simple series of executable tasks, somewhere far away I could feel the eyes of everyone on the bridge. I could feel the vein in my neck pulsing, but at that moment, my vision was like a dark tunnel, utterly focused. I would not allow this to happen. And there, my instructions were complete. I keyed the button, reconfiguring the shields. Another press, and the power grid redirected the key systems at double strength. Another and the comms array came to life. Amanda. Samuel. I loved you with all my heart. But I will not allow you to take this from me. I may be going to hell. But you can tell them I'm coming. I entered the final command and my flagship leapt into hyperspace. A micro-jump, one that covered a pathetically short distance, but it was enough. The Surin had appeared directly in the path of the Mudon, less than a hundred yards from its bow. I saw on my screen that Samuel had tried at the last minute to turn, but it was too late. They hit the shields at full burn. In a single moment, my entire traitorous family was dead. The drives and all their data, gone. My campaign was safe. My choice was made. Admiral, the Faithless are retreating. What should we do? I stood and swept my gaze across the bridge. Captain Lorelei was the only one who could look at me in the eye. Engineering. Reconfigure the ship for standard operations. Helm. Plot a course to pursue and engage. Weapons. Get those systems back online yesterday. 
The Faithless have left themselves open. And if I have anything to say about it, this war ends today. You heard the Admiral! Move! As my crew leapt into action to carry out my orders, I crossed the deck plates to the far observation wall. Out in space, I could see the debris from the Mudan spinning in the vacuum. Just more trash in the depths of space. A final choice on my path to power. On my path to the Grey Rooms. I peer out the upstairs hallway window and a shiver runs through me as I watch the harsh diagonal sleet disappear into the damp ground. It's been cold for a long time. I'm sitting on the stairs dressed for cold weather as I wait for a pickup. The rest of my small group of middle-class, middle-aged misfits on a mission to save the world. Every week we hand deliver care packages to the homeless, and they smile and look genuinely grateful. It's never anything big. Some bars of soap, deodorant toothpaste, and toilet rolls. But I suppose it shows that somebody cares. I can't lie. It gives me a warm feeling, too. Can she see that? Or smell it on me? The selfishness? Is that why she scowls at me with such disdain when I approach? Her fingers are always covered in rings, and her neck is decorated with cheap jewelry. She jingles as she sinks back into the darkness. It's the thought of her as much as the cold that makes me shiver waiting on those stairs. The green-eyed woman with teeth as black as coal. Wood creaks and the squally wind howls at the window. My skin begins to prickle as an icy draft sneaks through and caresses my neck. I wonder how anyone could survive even one night outside in this. A cloud of condensation has formed on the window and, bizarrely, I start to see shapes forming in the fog. At first, it doesn't process and I stare in disbelief, mouth open but not breathing. I blink, hard, but they're still there. Coming from all directions is an army of faceless people approaching the house. Shit, what the hell is that? I look away from the window and back again, but they're still marching towards me. Urgently, I try to wipe at the glass. I watch, blood pumping in my ears as letters begin to form in front of me. E-R-I-C-W-O-S-E-R-E. No fucking way. No, no, no. A hand slams against the pane. <gasps> the hand slowly begins to rub the letters away. Immediately, I recognize the dirty palm and knobbly fingers. It's her. The front door crashes open and an unwelcome wind howls inside and up the stairs, covering me with its cold blanket. Shit! Frozen to the spot, my breath hanging in the air, I expect the first of them to enter. Only the wind continues to trespass, and its haunting song fills me with dread. Finally, I, I snap out of the trance and sprint over to the door. I slam it shut. 
through the glass, I can see no one. Where are they? On cue, the door rattles loudly on its hinges, sending me reeling backwards. A face appears beyond the door. Green eyes, lips curled over her black teeth. She winks, and just as quickly she's gone, replaced by the reflection of my sallow face. I take a step back, only to hear Eric's voice. Behind you. I turn. There's nobody there. Heart thumping, I begin to feel lightheaded, disoriented. I lean against the wall and let it take my weight. Slowly, I regain control and my breathing slows to an almost regular pace. Anxiously, I peer through the glass and relief kicks in when all I see is the sparse grayness of winter. Eric. It was his turn to die last week. I got to know him well during the last few visits. I shed some tears and felt an accompanying knot of grief. But I suppose he is finally free. He lost his wife to cancer more than a decade ago and his son didn't want anything to do with him. We became good friends. The horn outside startles me, but almost shaking with relief, I grab my jacket and rush to the waiting van. Each one of us perches awkwardly amongst the mass of blankets and clothes crammed into the small van. Like I said, off to save the world. Or at least, a very small part of it. How have you been, Tom? Okay, Pete. You know. And we can only do so much. You're a good man, Tom. I turn to glance at Barbara then, and she smiles. In the seat next to her, Alan nods at me. The nostalgic aroma of washed blankets and clothing fills my nostrils, and I get a fleeting memory of Mum hanging washing on the line. I don't remember much about the early days, when things were normal. The image brings a lump to my throat. I breathe in deeply and look through the window across the damp grayness. It's 9pm, and everyone with a home is safe and sound. It's dead out there, as it should be. It's subtle at first but I begin to catch a new scent overlaying the laundry. A stench that builds and builds. Can you guys smell that? Smell what? That comfortable smell of fabric softener and detergent has given way to something much more pungent. Rotten. And it's making me sick to the stomach. It's coming from behind. As I twist my head, I see her on the back seat. The unmistakable green eyes and dyed black hair that lays damp against her creased forehead. That same look of contempt plastered across her face. She smiles, but not with warmth. It's as though she knows something I don't. I recognize the chain that hangs around her grimy neck. It's Eric's. The last thing his wife ever bought him. 
She removes something from her finger and then holds it up. One of the rings. She places it on the seat next to her. I blink, and she's gone. Here we go, people. Barbara and Alan are first up with an armful of blankets. As soon as they make their way out, I lean over the seat and wrap my fingers around the red ruby ring. It's real. It's identical to the one my mother used to wear. I'll get the tea on! I place the ring into my pocket, already trying to put it out of my mind. The brutal wind hits as soon as I'm out the door. It's even colder than last week. I pull up the van's back hatch and switch the kettle on. As the others are gathering more supplies, I walk to the door of the abandoned warehouse. Evening, Jed. How have you been? Crown. Thanks for asking. Tea? Aye. Three sugars, please. As he opens the door further, I can see Dean getting to his feet, and to the right, Paula is folding back her dirty blanket. The smell of stale urine hangs in the air. Hi there, Jed. Warm it up for you? <sighs> Jed's a long-termer. When I asked him last week, he couldn't even remember how long he had been without a home. He'd stuck a screwdriver into his father's leg and hadn't been home since. Should have stuck it through his heart, but the bastard didn't have one, he had joked. How many of you in there tonight? Just the three of us now. That knot returns in my stomach. Already my cheeks feel numb and my nose is dripping. I can't imagine what it must be like to spend the entire night in this cold, damp air. I am glad Eric doesn't have to do it anymore. Any sign of the, uh, the other one? He stares at me blankly, just like the last time, and then shrugs and takes the sheets from Barbara. Paula is next. She can only be 20 years old. She is aggressively chewing gum that could be weeks old. I've not seen her smile yet, but I guess she doesn't have much to be happy about. It's so cold in here. There are huge, exposed windows on each side of the building. Some bits of wood and cardboard have been placed across them, a half-hearted attempt to keep the winter draft at bay. And there is Eric's corner. His name etched into the wall is the only evidence he was ever there. His warm breath against my ear. The smell of stale liquor. My body shudders and the hairs on my neck begin to prickle intensely. I remind myself to breathe. Disoriented, I twist my head around, but once again, there's nobody there. And then from under the piece of wood that had been nailed across the window, I see her green eyes peering in. I rush over to the boarded up window. She's gone. Just the oppressive needle and litter filled alley that separates us from the next nondescript brick monstrosity. I can't stop shaking, and I know it's not the cold. Digging my hands deep into the pockets anyway, I make my way towards the exit. 
she's already waiting for me, leaning against the van. It's difficult to say how old she is. She could be anywhere from 35 to 55. The jumper she wears looks like a relic, threadbare and faded, and it's impossible to tell what color her skirt used to be. We could be the same age, yet I feel like a child, one that has been caught stealing. She's with me, Tom. Your mother. She's here with me. My chest tightens and it becomes harder to breathe, less automatic. I feel exposed, naked. I feel the tears coming, but I bite down on my lower lip to distract me. I... I don't know what you're talking about. My mother is dead. She says that she forgives you, Tom. But you must stop. The others... It's not your choice. I begin to shake uncontrollably. Years of guilt and deceit flowing through me in spasms. There isn't a day that goes by that I don't see my mother's face. Dad left, couldn't hack it, and I haven't seen him since. I hope that guilt eats at him, too. She insisted on being at home, ill for as nearly as long as I can remember, but nasty with it. The same glower as the green-eyed lady permanently imprinted across her face, as though everything was my fault. Good for nothing, she used to call me. I tried my best to please her, but nothing was ever good enough. I was alone imprisoned in the house with my mother's resentment, and it all became too much. When all you're fed is hate, you get an appetite for it. Veronica is here too. So are Pat and Tracy, and now Eric. But that's only a fraction of them, isn't it, Tom? We kept rat poison in the basement. I knew where it was. And so one day, I started to feed her small portions in her meal and drinks. She started to get sicker, and towards the end, she even became nicer, as though we were growing closer again. Part of me wanted to stop, but he wouldn't let me. I'm a traveler, Tom. I've met them all. I pull my hands over my head like a child, a pitiful attempt to protect myself. The old woman opens her mouth again to speak, but a range of voices emerge. Why did you do it, Tom? Why did you do it, Tom? You didn't have the right. You didn't have the right. It's hot where you're going, boy. <laughs> it's hot where you're going, boy. I thought we were friends. I thought we were friends. I thought we were friends. Eric. His voice evokes such grief. I miss him. He was my favorite. But I could see it in his eyes how desperate he was to get back to his wife. And the voice said it would be for the best. Who are you? You don't even remember, do you? How many have you taken, Tom? I look into those green eyes, but I don't recognize her. I've helped so many to pass. It's difficult to describe the feeling when my mother finally went. I felt grief but primarily an overwhelming feeling that things were going to be okay again, that order had been restored. I wanted to tell everyone, tell them that I had assisted in her passing and that God had been with us, reuniting us along the way. But they would never feel it the way I did. I... I don't know. As I held her hand and watched her take that final breath, I remember feeling such a surge of energy around me, 
The light that had leaked through the curtains was impossibly bright, and I have no doubt there was a presence with me. It was as though I was walking her to the gates myself. I felt euphoric. This is not God's work you are doing, Tom. He would not condone this. But God was there. God is always there. I feel it. I sense it. And what makes you think it's God? God talks to me. Tells me to do things. That I'm helping them. Can you hear yourself, Tom? What you're doing is murder. But his voice... Have you ever thought it could be someone else offering encouragement? Someone that thrives on misery and death? No, no, no. I'm helping them. I know it. You have to tell them, Tom. You must own up. Who are you? Just someone without a place, Tom. In between, you could say. And neither place takes kindly to travelers. I have others with me now, though. Followers. And I promised I would help them find their way home. It just might help me get a place upstairs, Tom. Out of this limbo, once and for all. I look back towards the warehouse and observe the others crouching and listening attentively to the usual stories of misfortune, abuse, and abandonment. What is their motivation? What do they get from this? Nobody else would understand. Instinctively, I reach for her neck, but end up grabbing only air. She's gone. I am the one that has been blessed with the presence. I am closer to the deity than her. She has no right to order me around. And how dare she accuse me of murder? She knows nothing. You already killed me once, Tom. You can't do it again. Her voice is right behind me. I turn, my heart pounding in my ears. A small cockroach exits from her mouth as she smiles. It quickly scuttles up the side of her face. And then another one. And another. Soon there are dozens of them emerging from the darkness between her lips, and in seconds, her face is alive. It's a moving carpet of bugs. Some of them jump across, scrambling up my arm. I frantically try to brush them away. She places her bony hands around her own neck and begins to squeeze. Her green eyes roll up into whites, and a scaly tongue lollops out the side of her mouth. Is he with you now, Tom? Is he? <laughs> the tongue springs to life, coiling around some of the roaches and bringing them back into her mouth. As she begins to chew, I can hear the bodies crunching and I feel nauseous. Black worms wriggle from her ears and begin to slither down her neck, leaving a slimy trail behind. Small, hairy legs begin to emerge from her left nostril, and I watch, horrified as the spider slowly works its way from the dark hole, legs wrapping around the fleshy exit and pulling itself through. It now sits impossibly large on her cheek, and its bulbous back throbs intensely. It's getting bigger and beginning to pulsate even more vigorously, impossibly fast. 
Finally, it explodes into a cloud of black. Tinier versions of the arachnids begin to rain down on us. Some are in my hair and on the back of my hands and the back of my neck now. I can even feel them in my clothes. They are everywhere. Her black hair is now an ever-changing landscape of bugs. And the smell. Something resembling a tongue darts out and begins to dance menacingly in front of my face. It's a living carpet of white maggots. From the corner of her eyes, blue bottle flies begin to force their way out, and soon their menacing buzz surrounds us. Some land on the corner of my mouth, and I swat them away. It provides only temporary relief as more take their place. My body is a hypersensitive composition of nerve endings as the bugs scamper across every part of me. And then she's gone. Vanished again. Eric says you have to tell. He can't rest until you do. None of them can. I turn, and I'm confronted with a cleaner and younger version of the green-eyed lady. Her face appears softer, and she is looking at me with what appears to be empathy. All the bugs have disappeared, if they were ever there. And for the first time, the green eyes do not evoke fear. Just questions. I understand, Tom, how trauma can change our path. It's why these people have ended up here. It's why I'm here. She leans in close, and I watch as the skin begins to wrinkle and the cavernous lines in her forehead return. The eyes are becoming cloudy, and the teeth are beginning to blacken again. The accompanying smell of death permeates the air between us. But what you are doing is wrong! I fall to my knees, and more warm tears roll down my cheeks. For so long, I have been carrying out these acts without even challenging the voice in my head. I thought it was God speaking to me. And all this time, what if it wasn't? I hear the footsteps to my right and see Pete approaching. He crouches down and puts his arm around me. Oh, Tom, you need to stop blaming yourself. There is nothing you could have done. It was just his time. Perhaps if he thought I was helping with God's work, Pete would understand. Come on. The others need you. Three more teas, please. He pats my shoulder fondly. You are such a good man, Tom. He walks away, heading back to the others. Instinctively, I reach for the bottle on the inside of my jacket. I momentarily consider pulling it out and shouting my confession at him, but my hand comes out empty as I push myself up and begin my approach to the van. When he finally disappears into the warehouse, I grab a foam cup from the makeshift shelf and reach inside my jacket again. My hand lingers there for a moment, and I turn around, looking for a sign of the green-eyed woman. But for now, she is out of sight. I fill the cup with the poison. One last time, I tell myself. In the warehouse, my colleagues continue their good work and nod and listen attentively. I don't think they would understand. It was never selfless. I did it for the high, for the feeling of being close to the one. And I can kid myself into believing it was God. 
but it didn't really matter. I catch sight of her green eyes hovering in the distance, just beyond the tree line. And as I approach with the cup in hand, I see Eric's blue eyes peering over her right shoulder. And then I see Pat and my mother. As I get closer, more faces start to appear from the darkness. There are dozens of them. I recognize them all. These are the followers the green-eyed woman spoke of, the ones she is trying to lead back to their rightful place. And I know she needs me gone for that to happen. To you, Eric. One last time. I knock the cup back. The pain is immediate and it strikes at my chest and throat. Already I'm struggling for breath. My legs buckle as a wave of dizziness sweeps over me and I fall to the cold earth writhing in agony. I can smell the earthy tones of the mud as my cheek scrapes against its coldness. And then I feel it. The presence. But it has come for me this time. The metallic taste of blood begins to fill my mouth. I try to scream, but only a slight rasp emerges. I can't get any air in. My throat feels as though it's closing. I clamp my eyes tightly shut and beg for it to stop, for mercy. It feels as though my organs are melting. Through my eyelids, the bright light appears and I know it must be nearly over. God is with me. But I open my eyes only to find Pete standing over me with the torch. And behind him stands the green-eyed lady adorned excessively with gold and silver jewelry. She smiles. It's okay, Tom. They're home now. And with that, she crouches down and removes the ring from my pocket. She gave it to me as payment, Tom. Everyone paid for my help, so they could find their way. The pain stops, and blackness begins to creep in. I feel a hand reach for mine. It's warm and pleasant. But then I feel claws begin to dig into my wrist, and searing heat soars up my arm. We've only just started, Tom! A Good Man, written by Mark Taus, with performances by Dan Rosales as Tom and the narrator, Graham Rowett as Eric, Joe Stofko as Peter, and Alastair Mackey as Jed, Aaron Lillis as the Green-Eyed Woman. Beckett's Bargain was written by Michael Zenke, featuring performances by Eddie Cooper as Beckett, Michael Turrentine as Samuel, Sarah Ruth Thomas as Lorelai, and Isabel Santiago as Amanda. Musical composition was by J.M. Scherf. Episode artwork, web development, and creative direction by Cassie Pertit. Social media and Patreon management by Brooks Bigley. Videography is by Hale Scherf. Audio engineering and sound design was by me, Jason Wilson. Well, folks, we made it. Well, uh, <clears throat> most of us, anyway. We're 
patrons like Brie Finale, but don't fret, we still have some soul-gripping things in store for you. Check us out next week for episode 19. And speaking of our patrons, we would also like to take the time to thank our patrons once again and to any of those who have taken time to leave us a five-star rating and a review. Those reviews keep us at the top of the charts and makes it easier for more twisted souls to find the show. Aaron Anthony, Amy Nikolai, Arthur Unk, Diverelli, Ellie Dowell, Ellen Houghton, Emily Cullen, Jackalbot Snows, Ronan Kumori, Jason Porras, Jeremiah Overstreet, Jessica Finch, Karina Sanina, Kay Davis, Kelly Bear, Kyle Wilcox, Laura Lupinetti, Lynn Browning, Lizzie B, Megan Pruitt, Michael Velez, Mike Devine, Mitch Garretts, Michael Philick BG, Paige Pye, Patrick Stewart, Plin Plin Plon, all night long, Sean Gary, Sean McCorkwadale, Shay Barbie, Sparky Anglin, Spirit Live, Stacy Thewis, Sybil McKinney, Talicia Gullman, The Original Nick Show, Teresa Tabor, and R.L. Platt. The Grey Rooms is also streaming for free on Spotify. Just get the Spotify app or open the browser and search for The Grey Rooms. We here at The Grey Rooms love our fans and want to give back to you in the best way that we know how. And we have a lot of fun things to show you, and we hope that you like them. You can find out more about us by joining us on social media. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, also Reddit and YouTube. And we took your advice and extended an olive branch to all of the tortured souls who have passed through the rooms. Our emotional support group is always there looking to help you with all of your emotional needs. I mean, it's the gray rooms. We get it. And don't forget about our merch store. It's full of epic designs and logos for you to sport, showing the world that you are a survivor of these very rooms. All of this can be found in the show notes and on our website at thegrayrooms.com. We also have a Patreon. Feel free to join and support the show at patreon.com forward slash thegrayrooms. Find the tier that's right for you today. And we would be doing a disservice if we did not mention our Discord channel. Come on in there and join in the fun. You can meet Bob, the warden, the authors, actors, cast, crew, and just great individuals such as you in there today. So come on in and join us. It's just, we're missing a little bit of chaos. Help us. Well, again, we have two more episodes left before the finale. Hopefully, you're getting as anxious as we are. We are so ready to give you this finale because we think that the conclusion of this season is going to be something phenomenal. I've been having fun so far with you. Yeah, that's what I thought. But with that being said, we have a lot more that we need to get done. So once again, thanks ever so much, and we'll see you next week.